Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis. And this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. I'm delighted to say that we are today continuing with our mini-series on Maritime Australia. In fact, this is just one of three more upcoming episodes. If you missed the first few in this series, then do go back and check them out. We heard about the Dutch first arriving in Australia, about the recreation of the Dyfken ship. That's the first vessel that brought Europeans to Australia, which was recreated in 1999 and can be seen today at the Australian National. Maritime Museum in Sydney. And we also heard about William Dampier and HMS Roebuck. He was the first Englishman to set foot in Australia and the first European to study Australia's flora and fauna. In this episode, I made it across the full width of Australia. That's hours and hours and hours with no sight at all of the sea. And then I finally arrived in Brisbane from Perth. And of course, I did what all of you listeners would have done. I went straight to the Queensland Maritime Maritime Museum, though it was, of course, after a large glass of wine and a lobster. It's a fantastic place, and I was warmly welcomed by a host of wonderful people. I should say a particular thank you to Sally May for helping me to set all of this up. This episode is a little tour of the museum. I was put in the capable hands of Caspar Kuiper and Keith Bolton. The museum is built around the dry dock on a bend on the south bank of the Brisbane River. It was founded in 1971 and in the more than half a century since then has developed a fantastic collection of artefacts as well as historic ships, all beautifully presented and preserved around the dry dock. In the dry dock itself is HMAS Diamantina, a river-class frigate that served in the Second World War and also the Carpentaria, a light ship built in Edinburgh in 1917 that served for almost 70 years protecting shipping off Sandy Cape and Fraser Island and the western approaches to the Torres Strait. Subsequent episodes will take you on a tour of the dry dock and to one of the ships being preserved there, the Purling Lugger Penguin. This episode is going to focus on the collection inside the museum. I won't spoil it for you, but let me just say that the collections are rich, they're imaginative, they're varied, and they were all brought to life brilliantly by my hosts. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoy talking with them. Here are the hugely knowledgeable, patient, the charming, the entertaining Casper and Keith. 
we've come upstairs now in this the wonderful museum and we've walked past the most magnificent collection of objects. It's been a bit tricky working out which one to talk about. Um, but then I came into this uh, room upstairs and was nearly knocked over by the two of the biggest ship models I think I've ever seen. The only ones I've seen that are bigger are the ones in the Dockyard Museum at Barrow in Furness. So uh, let's walk over here and t um, talk about this this one first, uh, the magnificent Orion. Casper, um, tell me about this vessel. Uh, it's from the Oriental Steamship Company and is built in, of course, in the UK and in, in uh, Barrow in Finesse. Yep, Barrow in Finesse. This was one of them magnificent already for nearly over three, 200 meter length and the, uh, the width was nearly 24 meters, and the horsepower was 24,000 horsepower, and the speed 21 knots full on. Gross ton, it was 24,000 ton. It was the original model of the sister ship, uh, RMS Arcadas, a top, torpedo in the South Atlantic in 1942. I mean, these, I don't know how many trips they have done between Australia as an, as an uh, uh, immigration uh, ships. They have carried, I, I, I don't know, I, I think over a million uh, uh, immigrants from the UK and around Europe to Australia. Yeah. So, I mean, there was not a very luxury uh, voyage, of course, because... There were only so many cabins, and they used all the cargo holes that was for the fourth class and so on. That was not a luxury voyage, to no. be honest. How long did it take, then, to get from the UK to Australia? Uh, it's about two and a half months. Yeah, like two, two and a half months, because what they did, they left uh, England and picked up South, Southampton, and then they would go to Lisboa, and they go to the Mediterranean, and then Greece, and go through a Suez Canal, and then... Uh, Colombia, Col uh, Colombo, and then off to uh, Perth, and that is how they distributed all the passengers, and the end port was always uh, Brisbane, of course, because there were a different classification on, on immigrants. The uh, blue-collar people, they stayed in Perth, and the white-collar people was distributed to uh, Melbourne and Sydney, and the blue-collar people came to Brisbane and Adelaide. That was how, how that all was set up, and that is why the banking system is still, the, all the banking system is still in Melbourne and in, and in Sydney, and here we got the mining industry and the workers and the boiler makers and the carpenters, they all came to Queensland, Western Australia and South Australia. Yeah, and so Just, Perth, similar with all of the, the mining there. Yep, yeah. similar. There's, there were different type of immigrants, as it was, we call them the, blue, the white collar ones, yeah. the bankers and then the insurance people and et cetera and so on. Yeah, and, they, and we, let's just turn around and look at one of this other amazing model here. Keith, tell me about this one. Warrantano is a um, similar type of ship, again, for bringing out the, uh, the emigrants. I think the, other, the interesting about these size models is, you, as you can imagine, before the days of video and Google, these were in the shipping offices, so this is where the people would come to think about, this is what I want to travel on and envisage what their voyage was going to be like. That's the only way without having a brochure. Yeah, it's more than two metres long. Oh, definitely two metres long, yeah, massive. 
Yeah, and so it was um, used to help people uh, decide to, uh, to select this ship to travel on, yeah, but also for the shipbuilders, I suppose, to demonstrate what they could achieve. Yeah. So wh where was this one built? We know, this is the uh, Tranto. Tranto is the same place, Baron Ferris, Vickers again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 20,000 tonnes, uh, 20,000 horsepower, um, Length 65, 658, 75 width and depth of uh, 63, 6.3. Okay, and then was used as a troop ship yeah, in yeah, the right. Second World War. Second World and that War. must have been very common for vessels like this to yep. be used in the war. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah. And that's what I said before to you, it was not a luxury. And I, I bring you later and over to the cabins down there, and then you can see the cabins. Yeah. But was it really on board of these ships? Ah. Let's go and have a look at them now. That yep. sounds interesting. Come on, yep. have a look at the cabins. They've got some amazing recreations here of the inside of vessels. So here we are, voyages to the land of dreams, immigration to Queensland. And um, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, Casper, uh, I need you to describe to my listeners who can't see this, what, what am I looking at? I mean, look inside of that cabin. There was a four-bird cabin. Yep. And all the ventilation you had... And it was open the door of that little ventilation area. So it's about the size of a small um, saucer. Yep, saucer, and it was a deck cabin. In other words, that came out on the king and on the deck area, and that was already second class. This. And then we've got another one here. So I'm just going to describe these bunks here. So um, iron-framed, four iron-framed bunks. There is one single um, wash basin. Your wash basin in the centre with a little mirror and a place for a shaving kit and not much else. Not much else, no. With the shaving um, facilities, the water was filled by the steward outside to fill the water tank up. So when they emptied the, the bowl, when they lifted it up, it spilled, water then spilled out over the deck. Right. So that was the ablutions. Nice. Nice. And so let's move along to an another. I've got a recreation of another cabin here. Yep. Um, so this is, again, second-class accommodation on steamships in the early years of the 20th century. Oh, uh, this is occupied by a lady in a very fine, uh, fine uh, silk dress. A um, bit smaller, this one. I did in my distance two-bird cabin. This was for an husband and wife, of, of a sister, a sister and, and another sister of a brother and so on, like, like that. Yeah. Uh, that was already luxury, and when you see it, there was already wood inside. Just you had a little bit more, uh, more uh, classic, yeah. uh, that you felt a bit at home. A bit more quality here, and yeah, some uh, interesting. The basin is the same. Yeah. Kerosene lights, not air conditioned, no ceiling fans. So circulation would have been pretty limited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty stuffy and hot. Yeah. That's what I said, it was not a luxury land when you see there's on deck sitting down there and so on. And yeah. they used to talk about travelling posh in those days, and that was to book a cabin that was on the port side going out and on the starboard side coming home. So I went through the Suez Canal, you didn't have the hot sun. Right, okay. So you're in the shade all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, very good, very good. Uh, I and to come back on these models that we saw down there, these models being always given to the ship owner who commissioned a new ship. Yeah. That was their show piece, and you get one because my father had two of these ships still in, it's still in our family, yeah. and from the coasters in the Netherlands. 
and this, you got a model from about the size, yeah. two meters, three meters, and it is four, four meters size, and that was given to the new ship owner. Mm -hmm. You still have some like that in your family, do you? Oh yes, we have. Mm. Yeah. Is that in uh, in, uh, in Australia the, or in the Netherlands? No, in the Netherlands. I'm normally my out here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I came out here for the Brisbane Airport in 1980. Right. So, yeah, this, uh, that, I, I sense a, a trip to the Netherlands. I want to come and see these models. They sound interesting. Yep. Oh, <laughs> we we got a lot of them. Every ship owner got a got a model. Okay. Um, let's come around here. Um, yeah. There's so much magnificent stuff in this uh, in this museum. Some more models here. Got little models everywhere you go. There are models. Um, just, just idly walking past the Cutty Sark. I want to have a look at this one, though. Um, the Orcades. Yep. What do we that know about? This sister ship from the other one. From the Orion? Yep. Okay. Yep. So a very distinctive buff-coloured hull, it green stripe. It was already up-market because there was a bit smaller passages, four on the people, five on the people. Yeah. And it was the size same as the Amsterdam and the Rotterdam. Orion. Now I'm going to draw your attention to one right down the end here. It's got quite a bit of history. What are we looking at here, Keith? Cuyata was the one um, a steamer sailor and it struck a rock up and um, Cape York was unmarked and sank within minutes. It was the first, Queensland's first naval, naval tragedy, marine tragedy back, back in 1883. So uh, it's still there to this day, laying on the bottom in about 90 metres of water. Right. But, uh, yeah, ripped the bottom out of it and it sank like a stone. Uh, a bit too deep for regular yes, divers, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and, and about um, 400 people perished in the, in the wreck. Yeah. yeah. Do you have many shipwrecks around this coast? Yeah. Well, we've, got a, we've got a big uh, sign out here, shipwrecks. Yeah. Queensland, yeah. You should make a photo of that and that your eye goes up how dangerous the coast was. I came many times myself from... Uh, uh, Key Bay in the uh, uh, United States with dynamite for Port Alma. And then uh, you came in from through Panama Canal, and I mean, it was very difficult. The navigation aid was very poor in Australia, it was just the beginning. Yeah. Because you have to be really careful with navigation. Still now. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that. Um, I was talking to someone when I was in Perth about the people, the, you know, the people who first visited the coast, yeah. and you got no idea what's in front of you ever, and you must have to just move forward so slowly, sounding as you go when you approach the coast. Yeah, really that's difficult. That's why you had these little yachts. What you see, the dive can down there. That was the ship who were called before the biggest ships, and they made already a route and do the sounding because they were better manoeuvrable and shallower draft and shallow a draft also on two and a half metres. Yeah, that's interesting. And they dropped that anchor and then they turned quickly on the anchor and could sail out again. Right. Yeah, so that's it, why those ships were built. Makes me think that the um, there's some work there someone could do on the seamanship of discovery. Yeah. So when the specific seamanship ship skills required in sailing in unknown waters, um, which I suspect was, was rapidly lost... Or, or certainly started to be forgotten after the, I don't know, the 18th century. Well, the big thing about was, is the square riggers is the fact that they couldn't tack. Yeah. So they had to go with only a small angle on the wind, and that's why they had to keep well away from the coast, because... Yeah, well, they could tack. I'm not sure it was very effective, though. Yeah, yeah. And that's why they carried four anchors. So yeah. Once they ran out of anchors, they had to go home. <laughs> my my father-in-law is... Is a captain, Captain Jim W. Hurt, is born in Scotland in Montrose, and he's born in 1889, 
and he learns under sail and steam and motor. Yeah. And he did salvage the Niagara, the gold of the sea, that ship but a run on a mine, but was laid by in the early 1940s yeah. in Auckland. And he salvaged that ship in 1941. Yeah. And if you see that story, the gold of the sea from the Niagara, then you air is rising, how, <laughs> how primitive and how they did it. Yeah, amazing. Let's go and look at these um, skiffs at the other end of the, uh, the museum. Um, they've got some magnificent small coastal craft here as well. And Queensland has um, uh, a, a great tradition of building small coastal craft. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, there we go. Yes. <laughs> there are a lot of shipwrecks. Yeah. Good Lord, there are a lot of shipwrecks. A graveyard of ships. Approximately 1,500 vessels are known to have been wrecked or otherwise lost in Queensland waters since the first recorded loss, the wreck of HMS Pandora in 1791. And I'm looking at a, a map here. There's a red pin for every shipwreck. I'm, I'm just trying to identify where we are. Where is Brisbane here? Brisbane's down south. Yep. So you've got a couple off here, but not too many. But there's a pretty nasty spot here. What's going on here? That's um, the wreck reef, and that's off from Gladstone. Yeah, that was too um, part of the barrier reef. It wasn't yeah, marked. There's a, there's yeah, there's a reef coming here, and that was difficult to get in from Japan and all that back here, because and Buzzard Head, not an easy navigation area. I mean, you see the outer reef. You had to go into the reef. Yeah, so this is inside the Great Barrier Reef, be the between the Great Barrier Reef and and uh, and the um, the coast. And at the top there, um, there's something going on. Well, there are a great deal of shipwrecks right at the very peak. Yeah, that's the Kuyad. That's when we saw the model. Yeah. The What's top? that part of Australia called? So people can orientate Cape themselves. York. Cape York, because yeah. the tidal runs very fast up there, down there, you near the equator, about only eight degrees uh, south, and the tidal is very strong. Yeah. And the ships have to do nearly 180 turn when they come around out of the thing and then have to go up to to Singapore and so on. Yeah, so this is in the Torres Strait, just at the top of, of Cape York. It's a miracle that people actually... Sam, in um, Moreton Bay alone, we have now recorded that there was 122 shipwrecks in Moreton Bay. Right. Can you point Moreton Bay out to me on this map? Where would that Morton be? Moreton Bay out from Brisbane. Right. Out from here, yep. and 93 in the Brisbane River. Wow. And it is only Queensland. There's now all Australia when you see all the shipwrecks in all Australia. 
Yeah, look at Perth. And Western Australia is very heavy as well. Yeah, and yeah, but all is Victoria. In, and Victoria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And New South Wales. <laughs> so you've got some Second World War ones here. Francis Preston Blair, July 1945. And maybe a, um, not too sure about that, but the Centaur was a hospital ship torpedoed by the Japanese off Morton Island. Right, and that's really close to yeah. Brisbane. So we had um, Japanese um, in, in the submarines around here. Right, and they also uh, got into Sydney Harbour and also shelled Newcastle. Yeah. Yep, and there's the Centaur, the photo of on the hospital ship. So the Centaur, this is a hospital ship? That's the hospital ship, the yes. The one that was torpedoed by the Japanese. Oh, I see, yeah. Uh, but clearly there's an image here with the clear, clear markings uh, on her. Uh, in fact, I believe I talked to uh, Jerry, who's a model maker for the, does some model making uh, for the Perth Museum, and he's just made a model of that. Oh, and I, so um, it's, uh, I'm linking things together. So if you're listening to this podcast, go and listen to the one I talked to Jerry, the model maker from Perth, and he'll tell you all about that. Now we're going to walk up through the museum now, past these... Uh, a little bit of diving area. Yeah, I want to go and talk about these um, beautiful craft up the end. Now, there's, um, let's just talk about this very briefly while we're here. This is, um, well, I'll hand it over to you guys. Tell me about the Lucinda and why the Lucinda is so important. Well, it was the Queensland government yacht back in the 1800s. The only way that government could transfer and communicate with the towns up and down the Queensland coast because there's no railway system. And this, this is the mock-up of the smoking room on the back of the Lucinda where they, um, the politicians drafted the Australian Constitution before we came in nation in 1900. Right. And it was in the law court here in Brisbane, where it's new in Roma Street. There's a brand new uh, law court being built, and they had that uh, in, inside of the law court, and that was given to us, to the Maritime Museum. They were very lucky. Uh, the cost was half a million dollars to... Wow. Bring it out from there and set it up here again. Yeah. So it's a recreation of the uh, of the room where the the constitution was signed. Casper, take me inside. Come on, let's have a look. Um. <laughs> so we're inside here. Uh, it's a U shape. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe fifteen or so seats. Um, uh, uh, leather, beautiful leather seats, each with their own scrolled, carved armrest. It's very glamorous, isn't it? There's a, um, a beautiful wood panelling on what would have been the mast, yeah. and uh, and up on the uh, deck head here. Yeah. As part of the, uh, the school tours, it's a great thrill to bring them in here, to sit here and experience what it would have been like in the 1800s, yeah. creating the, uh, the, the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, and it gives us a bit of a guide here. Um, it commemorates the opening of the Lucinda Smoking Room reconstruction on the 30th of March 2001. Uh, well, it's a wonderful, wonderful tool for engaging people with history, isn't it? Just to imagine the hubbub of conversation in yeah. here. Yeah. A lot of people don't know about it because it has never been very big told about it, okay. these things. That is the, the worst part of it, Lucinda. Uh, okay. Lucinda, if you go around the corner and you see really the Lucinda yes. and the artefacts that come from the Lucinda, then you think, hey, wow, wow, wow. They were already advanced, doing business between the, 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 the states. So let's do that. Is this, um, this is what I'm looking at here. Here we are. So this is um, a, a wonderful model of the, of the steam paddle ship Lucinda. Um, smoking room is this one here, down the stern. <laughs> it's like an entire third of the ship dedicated to smoking. <laughs> Cigars, of course, yeah. they're important. Yeah. Um, let's describe this model. 
side, side paddle steamer, paddle steamers on either side, steam powered, triple expansion engine, coal fired, so it could carry the, um, the, the crew and the passengers with uh, a reasonable comfort, and uh, built out of iron, and uh, built in Scotland, and sailed out to Queensland, and then at the end of its service life, it became a hulk for carrying coal up and down the river. And then finally, it was hulked in the mouth of the Brisbane River. And then um, it had to be ungraciously cut up for scrap when they'd redeveloped the port and taken to the skip, to the dump. Think about it. I mean, that one is made overseas in Scotland, built for the cold climate. Yeah. Right. And then t three months later, that ship arrives here in Ott, Queensland, 40 degrees in the summer, no air conditioning, nothing at all. And everybody had to be fully dressed in uniform. I have photos from my father-in-law. He is the head of the, he started the company of Master Matters in 1938. And they were in full uniform and long tails. And that is how they had their dinner meetings. Yeah. And I took that over from my father-in-law, the company of Master Matters. We celebrate our 80 years. And now we just go with chai and a jacket. But otherwise, they were in full uniform. If the photos I look at them, I think, oh, my God. I mean, it's unimaginable how hot it would have been inside there oh, when they were yeah, doing the yeah. constitution. Yeah. And the yeah. captain did not took, gave permission. I still do now. I'm the head of the company. And when I had my meeting, after I introduced and all this, then I said, you can take out off your jacket if you wish. <laughs> <laughs> Phew, thank you for the permission to dress appropriately. Yep, that's right. <laughs> that's very good. Well, you can see how they're they standing there, the photos you see. Yeah. Then you think, oh, my God, eh, Harvey. I suppose didn't faint. Yeah. Uh, and that's the wheel from the Lucinda. Yeah. That's a magnificent ship's wheel. And some of these ship's calorie. Yeah, and um, oh, some some yeah, we got uh, some fish forks and knives. Perhaps that's what yeah. we're looking at there. Gets tucked into a few lobsters on the Lucinda is what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, look at that, the bend of it is not a beautiful uh, area. What was in those days? Magnificent. Eh? Yeah, and they're already the, where now the uh, buildings are. Yeah, across the road. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's um, finish our tour by looking at a couple of these. Um, these coastal coastal leisure craft. So um, this is. I want to, let's look at these sailing ones first. Let's do that. Let's come over here. So we've got um, a couple of sailing skiffs, um, and this one's the Fury. Tell me about this one, Keith. Uh, this is one of the ones that um, used to race in the Brisbane River. It was. Um, I think this one was the um, one of the 16-footers sailing boats. So built in 1939. Yeah, and uh, we had a crew of four to sail. We carried huge, big sails up and down the river. I think um, 16 and 18, 18-footers weren't really used by any other sailing club in the, in the rest of the world, and only in Australia. Okay, so very distinctive Australian craft. Now, yeah, what happens very here? Fast. She is sold in 1945 to some U.S. servicemen who take her back to America. And then yes. she spends her time sailing around in San Francisco in up to 1949, disappears from the scene. Then in the 1950s, a strange-looking boat, presumably this, was discovered in a boat dealer's yard in Sacramento in near-derelict condition with her original cotton sails, uh, which included a Gunter mainsail bearing a colour patch of a black V. Yes. So what happens next, Keith? 
Then uh, she, um, in uh, 1996, uh, Annis Cullis visited Australia and decided to donate her boat to the Queensland Maritime Museum. Fury arrived back in Brisbane on the Columbus Line container ship in December that year, and after five years of restoration work, she was floated again in the Brisbane River 62 years after she was first built. That was the last time she was in the water. That's extraordinary. What a wonderful story. So... Um Sort of in the meantime, she'd been taken to L.A., um, where she was recognised, so this is the mid-60s, she's recognised by an Australian as an Australian 16-foot skiff. So someone said, hang on a minute, what, what are you doing here? Where did this come from? Yeah. And they managed to track down the history, and then she's back here where she should be, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, and then there's a, it does an, another one with a cracking story round the corner here. Let's go and have a look at this. Estrelita, this one. Yep. Okay, this is the skiff. They call it the skiff. Don Piper from Vinambi built in Bunya Pine. And it's only 12 foot. And beam was only 5, five foot. Length is spare is 6 metres 72. Estrelita was a champion and was a runner-up in the 1954, 1955, and 55 and 56. I was the, the runner-up for... Uh, yachting in Queensland. Right, so a real champion boat, this. A real champion boat, yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you what, gents, I've really enjoyed this trip and um, this little tour of the museum. Thank you very much indeed for showing me round. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, my turn to ask you all a favour. If you're listening to this on iTunes, please leave us a review. I promise I will read it out. It helps a huge deal, as the more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find us. And therefore, the more people we can teach about the importance of maritime history. Don't forget that this podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyds Register Foundation. You can find the History and Education Centre of the Lloyds Register Foundation at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk and please check out their latest project, Maritime Innovation in Miniature, filming the world's best ship models with the latest camera equipment. There's some really exciting stuff coming there soon. The Society for Nautical Research, you can find at snr.org.uk, where you can and you must join up. It's a wonderful way to meet people, to find out all about the world's maritime past from the very best in the business. And if you're a full member, you get to come to our annual summer dinner on board HMS Victory or HMS Warrior. And that is something you will never, ever forget. <laughs>